tuned in to the Community Cats Podcast. Ready? Let's go. Welcome to the Community Cats Podcast. I'm your host, Stacey LeBaron. I have been involved helping homeless cats for over 20 years with the Merrimack River Feline Rescue Society. The goal of this podcast is to expose you to amazing people who are improving the lives of cats. I hope these interviews will help you learn how you can turn your passion for cats into action. And today we're speaking with Erica Danger. Erica is a pet photographer, designer, and cat rescuer currently located in the San Francisco Bay Area. She fosters kittens and volunteers with various organizations in Oakland and beyond. Her work with Oakland-based nonprofits, Feral Change, and Cat Town includes fostering kittens, trap new to return, mentoring new TNR volunteers, assisting with vaccine clinics, and of course, photography. With her business, the Catnip Dispensary, she designs and creates catnip toys, face masks, and lots more to fund her rescue work. Erica, I'd like to welcome you to the show. Thank you so, so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. (laughs) So we are going to have fun today, that's for sure. And uh, before we jump into all of the things that you are doing, your photography is just like phenomenal. I mean, I wish we could paint the picture for everybody who's listening in on on the work that you're doing, but maybe we'll have some links to some of your examples in our show notes. But before we dive into all of that, how'd you become passionate about cats? You know, that's an awesome question. I don't remember if there was like a pivotal moment where I realized when I was real young that I like care about cats more than most animals, but I've always loved all animals. Um, something fun about growing up in my home while, while I wasn't allowed to have cats and dogs cause my mom was allergic. I had a slew of other animals. So I always had mice and rodents and we had reptiles, etc. Um, and we had a lot of books around and these were like nature books with gorgeous photography of like uh, cheetahs on the the Serengeti or whatever, and um, all kinds of cool rainforest creatures. And I was obsessed, obsessed with all of them. So I think that honestly, now that I'm talking about it, must have sparked not only my love for animals, but my love for the photography of animals and my appreciation for that side of things. I can't believe I never put that together before, (laughs) but lots and lots of books being around and uh, lots of exposure to friends' cats at their houses. I would just, nothing has changed about that. I still chase your cats around whenever I visit somebody and meet their cat for the first time. We're best friends right away. And that's just going to be how it is. So. (laughs) So did you do photography at an early age too? I got started. I kind of dabbled in, um, I got a hand-me-down digital camera from my mom in gosh high school and it was a terrible quality one before that I had film cameras that my mom also had given me but getting film developed is always expensive especially when your kid is taking pictures of literally everything she finds so my mom was pretty excited to get me into digital photography instead it's a little a little more cost effective um, for the experimenter especially and I did a lot a lot of just like I said, taking pictures of anything and everything, my friends and bugs and flowers and all kinds of things. And I really started getting into animal photography. I mean, I did, just to back up, I did concert photography and nightlife photography in bars and clubs professionally. And I I, I did all that well before I got into animals. But that lifestyle is very, it's very draining, very long, late hours and you're not really having that much variety. It's still exciting in certain ways, but 
you know, there was something missing. So <laughs> I started taking more pictures of animals just for fun. That's how I think all of my photography got started was just for fun. And I had a, a, a friend who suggested, why don't you combine your passion for photography with cats? I kept joking that I wish I could just pet cats for a living because I'm really good at petting cats. And if people knew, if people knew how good I am at petting cats, surely they could hire me to pet their cats. And it was a joke, but not really a joke. And at that suggestion, I was like, mm, he can't be a, you can't be a cat photographer. That's not a thing. Um, and we had that conversation, I don't know, a half dozen different times before I finally thought, well, maybe, maybe you could. And that was back in 2015. And here I am, it's been six years and I don't know, hundreds or maybe even thousands of cats, probably thousands of cats later. And that's what I'm doing. <laughs> so did you start out doing cat photography for nonprofits or did you start out working with individual clients? At the first, it was just my cat that I was practicing on and then friends, cats and that sort of thing. Mostly just like friends and friends of friends to get practice. And then eventually I, I was looking to just get into volunteering more uh, in the nonprofit world in Los Angeles. Cause I'd volunteered a bunch in Portland where I grew up before moving to LA. Um, I'd volunteered at uh, drug and alcohol counseling hotline, uh, suicide prevention hotline. I've volunteered with big brothers and big sisters, food banks, all kinds of different stuff. But I was looking to get into doing something else, something new. And I, I thought, why haven't I volunteered with animals in a shelter environment before? That's just a total obvious thing, like a no brainer. I should be doing that. And then I started out volunteering as someone who just socialized and helped clean a little bit in the, the cat areas at Best Friends Animal Society. And then, I don't know, maybe like three weeks after of, of me volunteering there, they put the call out. They were looking for a, somebody to help their staff photographer as photo assistant. And I said, Hey, hi, I'd be great at that. I, I know what she's looking for and I know what needs to be done because I'm good at petting cats and holding them and all the things. Uh, and I had learned through a lot of the training with best friends, a lot of the, the body language and other little tricks and things that you pick up on over time. But I had all this technical knowledge of why cats do this and why cats do that and thought, well, this would be a great way to put that into practice. And I had no idea. It goes so much deeper than just what I learned in that beginning training. And I've taken so much more behavioral and body language, I guess, classes and lots more hands-on experience. So I did eventually get into working with nonprofits and uh, using my photography skills in that way. But it wasn't the first thing I did. It was just practicing with friends. And it, that was a lot more like low key. I feel like that enabled me once I started taking pictures for best friends as a volunteer at like events and whatnot. Because they had Lori, their staff photographer. She does great with all the the adoption profile pictures and all that stuff. But sometimes you need more than one photographer. And that's when they brought me in. I think having all that practice from working with cats in their home environments made me a little bit more adept at handling all these other different types of cats in the shelter environment in combination with all that other training. But man, it was, it was very, very different to be going from, you know, photographing two, three, four cats in one comfortable home environment to assisting Lori with trying to get cats to hold still and pose for just all we need is like a good photo of each cat, but these are cats that we would might you know, have like 20, 30 cats in a week, maybe more. And these are cats that 
they've been pulled from other shelters. So they've been bounced around a little bit. They are really scared because maybe their, their person just got really sick or passed away. And, you know, everything is new and scary. They might've been out on the streets before this. And it's just these poor cats. Like, I wish I could just sit down and tell them you're okay. Now we're here to help you. I think that you can do that a little bit with your body language, but it, it sometimes it just takes time with these cats. So it was, it was a really a privilege to like work with Lori hands-on and I don't know, just have that many cats in my life every week. <laughs> it was really cool. It's a hot topic always about how to, you know, take a good picture for your <laughs> website, you know, and to promote your mm-hmm. cats that are available for adoption and a lot of time and a lot of effort in that. But in addition to that too, you've spent some time, you know, taking pictures of cats being TNR, trap, new to return, you know, being out in the field, sort of our community cats. So, you know, the fact that the, the shows, the community cats podcast, I, I would love to do like a masterclass, you know, about taking the pictures in the shelter environment or in the foster home environment, but also wrapping up some of your key knowledge nuggets that you have about taking pictures of your community cats too. Yeah. It was a natural kind of progression for me to get into TNR from working in the shelter. I started fostering for best friends. Uh, I saw other friends who were doing TNR and was so interested. So the first time I went out and trapped with a friend was Chris Ramon from Pasadena Humane. He showed me the ropes and it was, he showed me how easy it was, but we were trapping at night. It was very dark it's really difficult to get photos when it's that dark. So I think part of what I love about TNR is feeling like you can really make a huge difference in your community. And by not only just doing the TNR, but by being able to document it with photo and video, even if it's just with your cell phone, you're able to share that much farther, much wider with friends on Facebook and, um, you know, family and coworkers might start asking questions. You don't have to have a massive social following. You can be just, you know, a regular old person who is sharing their weekend of trapping with this organization. And now you have 10 people asking, Hey, what's that all about? You can get those conversations started and, you know, start educating people why TNR is great, why it's so helpful for everybody. Everybody benefits from TNR, not just the cats, not just the the people who love the cats or the people who hate the cats. It's all the people. (laughs) Um, It's good for the birds too. So we can get the bird people on board if they, if they want, if they want to know, we can talk with them, you know? Yeah. It's photo photography and videos. It's such a key component. Yeah. If you could (laughs) just share even just, you know, you, I mean, obviously taking pictures at night is very challenging and, and really you know, hard to do. And so much trapping does happen at during the night, but yet using the photography to tell the story is also really important for organizations, individuals. It's important, maybe not as important organizations. They like being able to tell the story. They like being able to use stories for fundraising or communications or that kind of thing. But, you know, when you have been out in the field, what situations and scenarios have worked well for you trying to be able to capture some good photos or what are two or three tips that you should think of out there if you're trying to capture some photos? Um, I think the key thing, it's going to be easier to tell the story unless you have some pretty advanced equipment. It's going to be easier to shoot during the day. And maybe that means that you scout out the location and go um, and hang out with the caretaker doing 
uh, during their morning feeding. If you want to, if you prefer to trap at night, but they have a morning feeding also, maybe just go and take some photos then of the cats being fed, hanging out in their favorite bush that they like to hang out in, that sort of thing. Because that can start to tell the story just as much as here's a cat in a trap. That honestly is kind of, this will tie into the second tip, I suppose. Um, cats and traps are a little bit tricky to photograph because there's bars in the way, not only technically because like your camera's going to try to focus on the bars, but also because it's just kind of distracting and doesn't look as visually engaging if the bars are there. If you're able to, depending on how comfortable the cat is, get your, honestly, just cell phone, get it right up to the, right up in between the little grates on the trap. And you can zoom, use your zoom or not, whatever looks better to get the cat, I don't know, just like in, in frame. Ideally, you a cat is always good. It's always good with whatever subject if they're looking at you. Some cats might be a little bit nervous, but I find shooting from the front or back end of the trap with my cell phone and just kind of scritching on the ground in front of the trap can kind of get their attention. I don't like to make a lot of obnoxious noise and scare them or anything like that, but a little, you know, I'm not knocking on the cage or anything startling, but just to get them to look at the the picture or sorry, it's the camera. And that'll, that'll engage your audience a lot more, make them feel a little bit more connected. Now, what are your thoughts about say, you know, some colonies have the, the social cat, you know, there's the one social one that's, it's going to be the one that you've got the trap set and those ladies like, Oh, great. Dinner's right in there. I'm going right in and then multiple times. I mean, in terms of <laughs> sort of staging a situation, you know, I guess if you're using it for educational purposes, we don't care who shows what happens going into that trap. We can use Fred, who's been trapped six times, you know, already, who's, you know, 16 pounds, and he just is waddling in there. So I guess it's not, or the drop trap, you know, or whatever, you, you know, using that as an example. So there's like that learning staging situation. And then there's like the story, here is the story of, you know, Fluffy, and Fluffy starts out not looking so fluffy or whatever. And then you get Fluffy trapped and spayed and neutered and cleaned up. And Fluffy is back and is happy, you know, in, in his colony. So I guess there's there's all this like storyboard stuff and all yeah. that kind of stuff. And to me, it's above and beyond. I, I just don't think I have that patience level in my, my mind. I'm like, okay, like, like snap, snap, and we're done. <laughs> and it sounds like there's a lot of patience involved in you have to sketch out your storyboard almost before you even get there. Is that true? It's helpful. You like you said it. It is really, really helpful when you have what did you call him, George? The, the Fred. 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 <laughs> the the frequent flyer, <laughs> frequent eater. It's helpful to have them around to get uh, individual kind of photos, or even to show. Hey, sometimes you catch the same cat over and over. Here's what happens. I get that question all the time. What happens when you're trapping and you get the same cat? Well, you let him go. That's that simple. Um, and like you talked about, having a drop trap or a remote trigger might be helpful. That's another technique. It's a little more advanced, but you know, to tell the actual story of one cat from being just an outside, unaltered cat to being healthy and thriving after they've maybe had whatever medical treatment as well. That's going to take a lot more patience. It is going to take a little bit of planning. I don't necessarily storyboard. I don't sketch anything out, but I do sometimes write checklists for myself of if I want to tell a story, make sure you get a shot of the cat outside, a shot of the cat 
in or near the trap. You know, you, sometimes you can't be picky because it may happen so fast or it may take a really long time. Or maybe the cat is one of those that doesn't want his picture taken. He doesn't want you near the trap. He'll go in the trap, but you need to go around the corner and wait in your car for 15 minutes before he's going to go in there. You know, there are those stubborn guys. We all know them. We learn to love them. <laughs> But you have to have a lot of patience in the photography aspect and the video, any videography aspect as well as you do with the regular TNR. You know, even if you're not documenting it, there's so much patience and planning, strategy, trial and error. And it's all the same kinds of stuff applied to photos and video. But, you know, you're just your techniques are a little bit different. You're just trying slightly different things. Your bait obviously doesn't matter for photos, but. If it's the stinkier, the better for the cats, then, you know, they can't see that through the video, but you're going to get better, better cats hanging around <laughs> or more, more cats hanging around. All cats are quality cats. <laughs> As someone who's juggling it all, trying to keep people and pets together, you need easy access to resources to help you do just that. That's where Maddie's Pet Forum comes in. From adoption SOPs to TNR guidelines, you'll find it all. Have you joined yet? It's free. Visit forum.maddiesfund.org slash cats today. Could your animal welfare organization use a tune-up? Humane Network can help. You can get a free 30-minute consultation to talk through your challenges and get ideas on how your organization can be more successful with less stress. From board development and fundraising to strategic planning and operations, Humane Network has got you covered. Whether you're a large or small, nonprofit or government, it's a live and thriving program led by a certified animal behavior consultant features specially designed training for shelter and clinic staff on enrichment, stress reduction, safe animal handling, and behavior modification. With Humane Network, you receive individualized advice and support customized to meet your organization's unique needs. And Humane Network can lighten your load by taking on fundraising, communications, and other tasks you struggle with. Contact Humane Network today for a free 30-minute consultation. Visit humanenetwork.org. That's humanenetwork.org. If you're running a rescue, you're probably overloaded with tons of tasks pulling you in even more directions. Dog and cat intakes, volunteers to communicate with, fosters to find and pass info to, and don't forget about managing the all-important donations. It's easy to become overwhelmed. Miss critical information and worst of all, lose volunteers. Buzz to the Rescues offers an integrative platform that can help you gain back your time, streamline your workload, and clearly communicate with everyone on your team. Learn more at www.rescueyourrescue.com and gain back your peace of mind today. So the projects that you've done for nonprofits um, focused around community cats. Uh, was that for the organizations in Oakland that you were volunteering for, or is that just stuff you've been doing on your own? Well, Feral Change is out here in Oakland and we're entirely volunteer based. So kind of everything that I do is, is sort of all on my own, but also with this idea in mind of helping Feral Change, helping whatever other organizations in the future, I hope to bop down back to Los Angeles and help out Lux Paws. There's, there's so many great organizations doing so much. And I'm helping out a little bit with Community Cats Podcast. And we're going to be contributing, or I'm going to be contributing some really great photo and video content to kind of help continue the education and the advocacy work that y'all do. Because I don't know, you, like I was saying about the social media earlier, the more people you can reach about things, the better. Like if we can get people knowledgeable, 
on board, excited to donate, excited to get out there and volunteer themselves, whatever they can do, the more the merrier in this, in this big game, you know, it takes a, a whole village to do this work. Certainly does. It certainly does. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and it also, um, looks like you've got experience also your training, uh, new TNR volunteers too. So, you know, the work that you're doing to help document the community cat process, um, and just the community cats, their lives, though, who they are, their beings, their community, their mm-hmm. humanness is really exciting to um, be embarking on that on that project together. And before we run out of time here, I also want to make sure I want to ask about uh, the catnip dispensary. Tell me a little bit more about that project. <laughs> the catnip dispensary was born out of the pandemic, actually. I've, I've kind of always, I mean, since middle school, I've been sewing elementary school by hand. I was sewing, but I got my first sewing machine in middle school. When the pandemic hit, we needed face masks. Everybody needed face masks. And I wanted to make cool ones that had, you know, cat centric designs. And I wasn't able to do any other work because my photography work going into folks homes suddenly was unsafe for all of us for me to be doing that. So I had no income and was just bored slash stressed out of my mind. So I started sewing face masks and um, it was really incredible to feel, it was overwhelming at first, but really incredible to feel useful again, um, to have that income coming in. I don't, I've been able to use a good chunk of that money going towards my foster kittens being donated to different nonprofits that I love and support. Uh, it's enabled me to buy traps and also just, you know, donating masks to people in need whenever I can giving people really cool silly masks like one that has kittens kind of yelling on it that says it goes over your nose you know there's like a little sense of humor there to them it's it's been really it's been really really fun and it's weird to think of making face masks and catnip toys and enamel pins as being part of your rescue work. But for me, it really, really is because it does enable me to do so much other stuff. I don't have to have a standard full-time job because I can make these really cool, silly catnip toys that I really enjoy and face masks and all my other stuff that I have and pay for my, my foster cat's care, pay mo- not all my bills, but <laughs> pay some of my bills. Um, and I do other work too, but it's been so rewarding and so fun. And I've gotten so much great feedback from people too. If I can have a, a little sticker that says, well, I have some of them that have swear words. I'm not allowed to swear on this podcast, but it has, a, it has some swears and enthusiastic, excited swears about how excited you are to foster kittens. I'll say that. Um, or I have some TNR centric buttons, ones that are anti-declawing. And, you know, of course, ones that are just like things that say, ask me about my cats or, I work hard so that I can buy my cat, buy drugs for my cat, which is catnip, of course, not other drugs. That's weird. (laughs) Well, I don't know, maybe metronidazole or something. Good drugs, good drugs. (laughs) But you know, it's, it's all been really fun and really rewarding. It's really good. You were able to channel your energy, you know, (laughs) anxious or otherwise. You very much. During the uh, pandemic in a very productive way. Um, And I think that that is, uh, something we've all had to deal with. And um, I just think it's great when people are being creative and inventive. And I interviewed a gentleman who's running for Congress in New York. And, you know, and he said that 
you know, he learned how to do TNR during the pandemic. I mean, he did the awesome. workshop and he goes, it was the first time I talked to my neighbors because we Whoa. all had to uh, get to know each other to figure out what to do with all the cats that were in everybody's backyards. And he goes, it was a huge community builder. And that was a time yeah. when he really wanted, you know, needed community because he was not in the office anymore or anything like that. And so there's all that you know, the old lemonade out of lemons type situation. Yeah. I really enjoy those stories. They're very heartfelt and gives me hope. Gives me hope much more than what we see on the news, unfortunately. So yeah, it's really funny how all these different angles of rescue and advocacy work, how it'll trickle down and affect other areas in such a positive way. I just love that ways that you never would expect a lot of times. It's really, it's really pretty darn cool. (laughs) So Erica, folks are interested in seeing your photography, finding out more about the work that you do. How would they do that? Um, You can check out my website, ericadanger.com. It's Erica with a C or my Instagram at Erica likes cats. I'm on Facebook as well, but I'm not very good at updating it. So basically Instagram and my website are the best places. And then the catnipdispensary.com is my shop. If you want to see any of those silly, fun face masks and catnip toys, go check it out. Yeah. And Erica, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners today? Um, shoot. Get involved. If you've ever been curious, ask a couple questions of people that you know that might be doing the work, whether that's fostering, TNR, whatever it might be, and just get involved. See how you can help out. It's really, really rewarding. Yeah. And for those of you that are out there caring for your colony cats, caring for community cats, I would love to see photos of your cats, your colonies. You can send anything you'd like into Stacy at communitycatspodcast.com because I love to see shelters. We, I was just having a conversation about a solar powered shelter uh, to up in upstate New York. Um, cool. So great design ideas on how to keep your cats warm and cool and, you know, how you're feeding them, um, how they are what their names are. I mean, I know people have names for all their community cats out there. That's for sure. (laughs) So, you know, the more that you can share with us here at the community cats podcast, we'd be happy to share out. And I know we're, we definitely are thrilled to be working with Erica here and um, Erica, I want to just thank you so much for being a guest on the show. And I hope we'll have you on again in the future. Yeah. I'd love that very much. Thanks again for having me. That's it for this week. Please head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. We love to hear what you think, and a five-star review really helps others find the show. You can also join the conversation with listeners, cat caretakers, and me on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to hit follow or subscribe on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, YouTube, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss a single show. Thanks for listening, and thank you for everything that you do to help create a safe and healthy world for cats. If your business or organization